The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with uh, uh, a return, a recurrent guest, uh, Bob Lofel. Bob, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Mark. Always a pleasure to be here. And you didn't get lost finding the new studios. You have a very classy operation here yeah, at yeah. Federal News Network. It's really impressive. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, 12 plus years ago when I started, it was uh, it was like a walk-in closet with a <laughs> tiny table with two uh, I, or three seats. and I, I remember it. Damn yeah, near I shared remember. mics. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Uh, God, uh, different world. So for the three people out there who may not know you, Tell people who you are and what Lofeld Consulting does, please. So I'm Bob Lofeld, founder, CEO of Lofeld Consulting Group. We're 15 years in business, and we work with government contractors to help them win business. Our our principal activities are uh, helping them execute capture and then creating high-scoring proposals for them. So lots of proposal work in our company. Okay, and and your sweet spot in that crowd. I know you tend to work with larger companies, but you have a lot of consultants that work with you. Yeah, yeah we we have a team uh, runs somewhere between 120 and 140 people working engagements, and two thirds of our business is with the larger companies, the largest companies in the, the government market, and uh, a third with what we'll call a mid tier small businesses. We we don't do the real small ones; they they can't compete at the the level that that we play at, but but uh, we pick them up sort of mid stride through their small business size standard. Cool. So um, <clears throat> uh, we're 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 here not because of this, but uh, what prompted this particular thing is Bob did a presentation at a Deepwater Point event last week on uh, full and open. Uh, competition, emerging companies into the full and open arena. So losing your set-aside status and migrating up the food chain from the little pond to the shark-infested waters, as it were. So, um, so I mean, it was a very good event. Um, I, I think I've been to a couple of deep water events before, but I, I honestly don't remember. Uh, we, we had about 75 people uh, show yeah. up, uh, typically the, the C-suite from – Companies that are uh, either uh, planning to graduate from small business within the next two years, are they graduated? Uh, maybe uh, as far back as two years ago, and they're they're uh, uh, treading water in the, the full and open uh, yeah. market, and and they all came to hear about strategies and ways to to do better in these larger competitions. Right, and you know, I I go to those events for two reasons. Number one, the networking. If I think the right people are going to be there, I don't care about the educational aspect. But the education side's a plus, too. And I did pick up some stuff there. Uh, our friend Dan Snyder from Bloomberg was there as well. Um, <clears throat> they, they gave a great presentation on uh, deals in the middle market, what, right. what they're like and uh, where they fall and uh, who's competing for that, that mid-market, not, not the largest piece of the 
largest deals in the market, but that mid, mid-market structure. Right, and I plan on having Dan in to talk about just that. I was hoping he could join us today, but he was otherwise occupied. <laughs> so um, so c- competing at the top end, what, uh, give, give us the, uh, the landscape here. So, so I, I think uh, it's fundamentally different in, in lots of ways, but for the transitioning entrepreneur, when, when we talk with them, they tell us that in the, many of the procurements they were involved in, they competed based on their company experience. And, and you could see that as a, uh, an important evaluation criteria when you're competing small businesses. You can just see the, the project manager at the government saying, if we're going to make this a set-aside, please, please give me a company that has experience doing this. So experience kind of moves to the top of the evaluation criteria. When, when you're in the full and open market, the, the experience isn't a discriminator anymore because every company that competes in that market has deep experience. I used the uh, example before uh, about if the uh, Air Force wanted to buy a new airplane, they wouldn't ask uh, General Dynamics or Boeing or Lockheed Martin to say, describe your experience building airplanes. They've, they've all been doing it <laughs> since uh, shortly after the Wright brothers. So, so what, what was a winning card for the small businesses is table stakes in, in the new, new uh, world where everybody can do the work. Everybody's got great past performance, and you have to win on a, a different basis. So the, the game changes, changes significantly. Okay. So you have uh, uh, your presentation, you know, number one is chock full, and I doubt if we're going to get through uh, granularly all of it. But I, I did like the uh, the keys to winning in in the full and open. So take us through those those five pieces. So so in the presentation, I talked about uh, five, what we call five keys to winning. There's a lot more, but you know we're time limited on the presentation and time limited on the show. But the, the first one is there's a huge correlation between uh, uh, a bidder's knowledge about the customer and and whether or not they win. So we we say you know in in our business, best informed wins. So the first key to winning is how do you get positioned to be best informed? And that's generally executing a, a good capture campaign. And we can talk about that if you like. The, the second is if you're going to have a high-scoring proposal, you need to begin with a high-scoring solution. And, and we have a, a methodology that we teach that we use with our clients called strength-based solutioning. And it's all designed about creating a solution that will, will be high, highly scored by the uh, government evaluators. So if you want to write a great proposal, start with a great solution. The, the third area is uh, you've got to have a great proposal along the way. And we, we do some things to build quality into the proposals that, that we do for companies. And, and the, the customer expects to see that quality. Uh, a lot of companies don't really have a quality plan for their proposal other than they do a couple of color team reviews along the way. But we, we have a, a standard, quality standard for all the proposals we do. And we measure everyone against that standard. So building in good quality is, is uh, really important. And, and reviewing proposals in such a way that you're building that quality in is, is paramount for us. So that, that's some of the things that we're okay. doing f- for the large companies. The smalls, you know, they're, they're the real smalls, you know, their, their standard for proposals is get it done and get it delivered on time. And, and if they do that, they think they've pretty well you know, met, met their uh, criteria to win. But for us, everybody's going to write a great proposal. Everybody's going to get it in on time. Everybody can do the work. So we have to play at a level above that. To, okay, so when, when a small business in a set-aside situation completes on time, in budget, 
um, do they get, <clears throat> you know, a CPARS rating that is superior enough to potentially lead to other business? Or They can get a really good CPARS rating uh, performing uh, on, on the contract. The, the problem is uh, the challenge for the smalls is that if you've only got five or six contracts, it's hard to get five or six contracts for your next bid that are similar size, scope, and uh, complexity, and uh, recency. And and because you have a, such a small set of contracts to draw from, it's, it's a high standard for the smalls. Okay. When, when you're a large, you can look across your portfolio, and any given time you're running over 1,000 contracts. And, and there's plenty of them that are performing in a stellar way that you can choose from and, and use to substantiate your next bid. Okay. So the hurdle's not as high <clears throat> for the large. The, the uh, <clears throat> criteria number one on, on your keys to winning is best informed. And, you know, my advice to smalls has always been to start where they love you, where they know you. So stick with a single agency where you can learn the customer and that kind of plays into your first bullet on best informed. So we, we work with companies to help them create value in the company. And uh, if they're looking downstream for an exit strategy, the, the thing we want them to show is deep competency in functional areas and deep, deep competency in a, a set of customers that are of interest to, to uh, an acquirer. What we, what we never want to see is an eclectic set of disjointed projects spread across the United States that are all, you know, A-Day set-aside uh, awards, uh, there's, there's not much value in that, that portfolio. So, so for those graduating companies or near graduating, the, the mandate for them is they got to step up and play in full and open to build value in their companies. Okay. But <clears throat> would it be accurate to say if a small company focused on – uh, you know, like one or two aspects of USDA, one or two operating divisions in USDA, they would get to know the customer better, understand the issues better if they were paying attention properly. Absolutely, they should. And the, there's just uh, the number one correlation to winning is customer knowledge. And that's one of the major steps in our, our capture campaign is to build out that customer knowledge. Okay. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I shall return with Robert right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Bob Lofeld. You can find Bob at lofeldconsulting.com, L-O-H-F-E-L-D. You can also find him and his team on LinkedIn. Uh, I suggest you do both. He also has several books out, uh, mostly compilations of your articles from WashTech. Is that? Yeah, we've we've done six books. Uh, I I wrote prolifically for Washington Technology for a while, but the last book is called Ten Steps to Creating High Scoring Proposals." It's not a compilation of articles; it's a a, a, a short short read. I don't know, maybe a hundred or so pages. Yeah. yeah, it's easy read, but it walks you through ten things that we do with clients to build high scoring proposals. And uh, the book has become really popular in our, our industry. And we've had companies come in and order 100 copies of it and forced all of their leadership to read the book. So, so in that sense, it's a good, a good seller but in a very narrow market. There you go. And, uh, if, again, if you're emerging from that set-aside status, even if you aren't emerging, these books are going to lay the groundwork for you to understand 
the the full and open realm that you will emerge into sooner or later. So let's talk about the big part of that emerge, and that's the uh, the capture process. I've heard you speak numerous times over the last well couple of decades. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we've been doing this a while. I didn't hear you speak when you were part of another organization, but ever since you've been LOFO. But you, you've been a huge advocate of building that repeatable process. Yeah, I, I would say an evangelist for it. And the way the process came about, we started teaching Capture 15 years ago when we first hung out our shingles, a consulting company. And the, the way we built the process is to go back and look at all of the deals that we have, had worked uh, as a company and also in our prior life, you know, of, you know, 30 years of getting ready to do this, and begin looking at events along that journey that we could correlate with a win. And we found maybe 10 activities that were strongly correlated with the, the outcome, a positive outcome. And we said, gee, if on every new deal that we chased, if we did those 10 things, we, we'd have a pretty good chance of winning. And that became a process then to, to do those, to execute them, to document our, our execution and manage the execution. And that formed the basis for capture management. So I can, I can step through the, the activities if you like. And yeah, take, take us on a, on a quick tour of the activities. That would be great. Okay. So, so uh, when a company uh, is doing its business development, it comes across a procurement that it wants to bid and invest money in. The first thing we ask is that they do a qualification review, and the review is pretty straightforward. You know, have you met the customer? Do you know them? Do you know their issues? Can you solution it? Can you perform it? And, uh, you know, about a dozen questions. And on that basis, they can make an affirmative decision to proceed and invest money in the pursuit. The, the next step is to form a capture team and build a capture plan because the idea is to get from where we are when we qualify the deal to – where we need to be when, we, we're, when we're ready to win. And there's a lot that has to go on. So we build a plan. Third step in it is to understand customer requirements. And this is where best informed win really, really plays in. We know the better we understand what the customer needs, their issues, their concerns, their preferences, their biases, their past experience, the better we're, we are able to shape a solution. So in our methodology, the fourth step is to create a preliminary solution and link that solution back to the issues that this customer has. And uh, we're doing this all before the RFP comes out. So this is uh, investment on the part of the company. The, uh, the fifth step in here is to position the solution with the customer. And this becomes really important because so many of these deals – will end up coming out on perhaps a GSA schedule or one of the best-in-class vehicles. And, and if you don't steer it so that you're a holder of that vehicle, you can have a great program that you're ineligible to bid. So lots of work goes on to position our solution, position the company in, in that competition. The uh, sixth step is to uh, understand who we're competing against. And think about uh, not, not just who the company is, but what are they likely to do when they solution the deal? What are their strengths and weaknesses in this competition? Once we understand uh, the customer and the competition, then we can build out a strategy to win. And the strategies vary uh, greatly depending on how the procurement is going to be conducted. Then, then there's always teaming arrangements. And for the large companies, we have to have a subcontracting plan and meet our socioeconomic goals. So it's a race to get out and 
line up the best uh, subcontractors and get them locked on the team. We we have to do this. Uh, our step nine is to be mindful that price is an important discriminator in this competition. So we start early with a price-to-win analysis and work with the company internally and their financial structure to make sure they can get to that price and, and have a price-competitive bid. And the, the final step in this 10-step capture process is to look at uh, performance risk. And we look at it from the point of view of the customer because we know they're not going to award to our client if they think they're other than low risk. And we look at it from the client's point of view to make sure they can perform the contract because the government has a long memory if you if you perform poorly or, or even get defaulted on a contract. Okay. So that becomes a repeatable process that we, we teach and we drive companies through it. Cool. I want to go back to one part of it where you said you determine your subcontractors at um, is it point five or six. One of the things that uh, small businesses have been told since day one is to go knock on Northrop's door or GDIT's door and get a subcontract. And this comes from PTACs and SBDCs. Not all PTACs are SBDCs, but I've heard that advice given at public events and that's that's so, kind of nebulous. So, yeah, so let, me, let me put that in a real-world context. Please. Uh, I, uh, before f- forming the company, I was a division president at Lockheed Martin. So I, I could count on getting a phone call uh, or two every week from some company that would call up and say, Jim, uh, we're a, a, a eight days service-disabled, veteran-owned, hub-zone, wounded, and American native firm, and we'd like to come in and give you a capability briefing. And, and I would tell them, I'm so glad you called. Uh, let me transfer this call immediately to this person in procurement who's got an office full of capability statements, and he'll he'll be delighted to listen to you. The other call that, that I would get is uh, from a small business saying, we're working uh, a program at Department of Agriculture. We know there's a procurement coming up. We've advised the uh, the technical team on it. We've got some people that came out of that agency. We're looking for a prime to team with. And I would say, can you be in here Tuesday, and I'll have three of my vice presidents sitting here at the table, and we'll talk about this pursuit. So it depends on what you say. If if you want to you know, annoy a company by running around giving out capability presentations, there's an audience for that, but it's not an audience that's going to get you anywhere. Yeah, I, I've told companies that if they approach it that way, you might as well just go to the parking lot and leave a flyer under windshield wipers. Yeah, I told them give the money to charity. They'll feel better about it in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing. So. Okay, so next step in the uh, the capture process, measuring. So we teach teach the process, and then we tell companies now uh, it's you have a deal that you want to chase. Let's measure the progress each month against the pursuit. So we build a pursuit campaign to to understand deeply the requirements of the customer, create our solution, and then we track ourselves. So in the maybe the first month. You, you might say, uh, here's my scorecard as a capture manager. My first task is to form a capture team, and we say score that on a, a four-color scale. So we use a red, a yellow, a green, and a blue. And the capture manager might report out the first month. My my first uh, performance metric was form the capture team. It's a yellow because it's me and you know, my, my office uh, suite mate here, and we don't have the dream team for sure. And the, the second uh, performance measure is to understand customer objectives, and we'll score that as a red because we, we haven't met the customer yet. So, so you can run down the 10 uh, criteria in capture and score yourself. And 
Second month, you come back and you brief to management and you say, uh, here's my scorecard, and you can see the colors have changed. I'm still yellow on my uh, dream team. I don't have the players, but we're starting to understand the customer. We've read a lot. We've met with the customer. Uh, <clears throat> we're beginning to develop our preliminary solution. We're thinking about how we're going to position this and build advocacy with the client, and we walk down that set of criteria. And and the company should say, okay, you're making progress. You've gone from lots of reds on the scorecards to, to uh, yellows and reds, so you're moving – We'll continue to invest in the pursuit of this program. And and you do that across multiple months. And at the end of the journey, that scorecard better be lots of greens and blues, and there better not be any reds on it uh, in, in order for us to make an affirmative decision to bid. Okay. So, so and, the, the nice <clears throat> thing about measuring it is it tells the capture manager, look at look at all my yellows and reds. These are things I need to work on and work hard. We're, we're no, when now we've taken a capture manager out of the role of saying I'm tracking the RFP. Saying I'm driving the program and I'm I'm going to get us a victory. Well, we we had discussed this off air, and the point is that when when you're a small, you probably don't really have some of this talent in house. So the issue becomes, you know, do you try to take a square peg and force it into a round hole? Uh, somebody who has part of the skills but not all of the skills, mm-hmm. or do you try to you know, most small companies aren't going to have the resources to bring in uh, an in-house real capture person. That's the reality of it. It's not inexpensive to do it. So the the companies that are uh, newly formed or in their early stage, they have to work with the resources they have in-house. When they hit mid-stride, they've got some money and they've got some uh, technical talent in the company. And then it's time to begin looking for, for all-star players. And, and the players, it's like sports. They come in all different levels. You can be the, the all-star for the boys and girls club uh, baseball team. That's one level of player. And you can play uh, uh, junior high school or varsity sports. Or you can play college and you can play pros. So every, everybody plays the same game. It's just played at a different level. And as the companies grow, they, they move from the minor leagues to the major <coughs> leagues. And you you got to scale the athletes or develop the athletes to do it. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Bob and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, I'm here today with Bob Lofeld. Again, you can find Bob at Lofeld Consulting, L O H F E L D Consulting.com. You can find him on LinkedIn. And we're m- migrating through a presentation. He did a short while back at a uh, Deepwater Point event. Uh, Him and Bloomberg and Deepwater put together a really good show on migrating from set-aside status to full and open. So, Bob, you touched on it earlier. So tell me about creating that best solution. So I'd say we we pride ourselves. Our value proposition is helping companies create high-scoring proposals and the first step in doing that is to have a high-scoring solution. What was an epiphany for me is uh, back uh, some years back, I actually sat down and read the federal acquisition regs on how the government's supposed to conduct uh, procurements and how they evaluate them. And what was so uh, surprising to me is that when I read FAR Part 15, which is for negotiated procurements, that's what most of the procurements are in this town, they laid out very specifically – 
how they would evaluate it and what they would document at the end of the evaluation. And as said in the FAR, at the end of the evaluation, what what will be documented in the contract file is your strengths, your deficiencies, weaknesses, and risks, and, of course, your price. So your SWAT. Yeah, so what happens along the journey of this evaluation of your beautiful proposal is that the only thing that really survives it is this briefing paper, briefing paper to the source selection official saying here's bidder A and here's here's their strengths, weaknesses, and risks. And that beautiful executive summary that you labored over doesn't survive and the selecting official never gets to see the beautiful artwork on the cover of your proposal. The only thing that comes out of it is this briefing paper. So if that's so important to create a, a, a great briefing paper for the source selection official, why don't we focus on that early on when we build a proposal and make sure our proposal conveys these, these strengths to the evaluators? What became uh, equally interesting is that as you go through the FAR, there's no definition for what constitutes a strength. And yet that's the fundamental attribute against which all these evaluations are done. So it's subjective. Well, it's almost subjective, but it, they fall into a certain category of subjectivity. And we have uh, developed for ourselves, for our internal use and our clients' use, a set of seven criteria that we use to decide if a feature in, in the solution can be scored as an evaluation strength. And to give you an example, the first criteria is that we have to offer to exceed a performance requirement, a contract requirement, in a way that's beneficial to the customer. So this idea that uh, we're going to write a proposal and we're going to offer to do everything in that statement of work enthusiastically and, and we're going to perform it well is like striving to be a C student in school because the valedictorian is always going to do more than what's asked for. So we begin building this strategy in to say if there's features in our offer where we can exceed a contract requirement in a meaningful way, and it doesn't have a material impact on the price, then by all means, let's play that up and let's position that in our offers so the evaluators can find it and score it as a strength. And there's other criteria about is there a feature that helps us increase the likelihood we'll perform the contract successfully or will help the government meet its mission or will reduce risk in our bid. And all of these attributes in our solution uh, come together to form what we call a, a strength-based solution. So we have a methodology for uh, taking the client through that process and creating the solution. Take us through the process, please. So, okay. So, so the steps are pretty easy. It's, in a way, it's like uh, solving an engineering problem where the first step is to say let's bound the problem itself because we know with the solutioning team we're going to focus on, on one aspect of the bid. Let's, let's say maybe the staffing plan or maybe it's some element of the technical approach. And we, we isolate it down to that level. And we bound it to say this is what the issue is, what we need to address, and these are things that they don't want us to address that might someone might interpret as being part of that issue. So, so bound it first. Second step is to take the tech folks, the solution architects, and say let's sketch out what's our solution to do this. And, and we lay out a, a process and uh, an approach to it. And then we look at the uh, solution, uh, the pro forma solution, and we tell them that's really nice, except that's the same way every bidder is going to do it. There's nothing in here that's inherently uh, different. There's nothing in here that produces value. And there's certainly nothing in here that can be scored as an evaluation strength. And all the technical folks look at us and say, what's a strength? And we go through this process of defining and then tell them, now let's create some features in this approach that we can package up as a strength. And 
the, the next step is that they all begin to whine about how hard this is. And, <laughs> and, and, and they'll say, well, if we only knew this or that, we could certainly do this. So we make a list of the this or that that they need to know, and we go find it. And then we come back and iterate through that process again. And, and the outcome of it is we've got a uh, – we end up with a well-defined uh, uh, responsive approach. It uh, has features in it that can be scored as evaluation strengths. And it's been through multiple iterations, and now we're ready to take that, that set of features and drive those into the proposal and package them in a way that they will score well. Okay, so, I mean, obviously, if you're brought in for a single opportunity with a company, you're kind of laying the groundwork here. When you come back to those companies, do you see these processes start to we, be uh, part we, of the culture? We or do. do. They, we do. We're seeing being transformative for some of the larger companies. And they'll, they'll come back to us, ask us to teach classes on the process, to uh, teach what we call strength-based solutioning, strength-based writing. And they'll commission us to do a, you know, a dozen classes for them in different geographic locations. And what's even more rewarding, uh, we go uh, make a, a sales call on another customer and somebody in the room listening to us says, oh, yeah, I used that process at the uh, XYZ company. It made a huge difference for us. So we have people in the room who are selling back the, the stuff that we've been, been teaching and training on. If you have something good – it is a migratory community. Yeah, yeah, and, and they share it. You know, yeah. it moves around. Yeah, I mean, I, I get a lot of the same thing when I'm doing LinkedIn training mm-hmm. or subject matter expertise positioning. Yeah. Um, people who've been through my my classes before will will be in a new situation, going, "Yeah, you got to pay attention to this part." Cause, That's right. So what, we, what we're telling the companies now to ma- master this strength based solutioning, they they need to set a budget for strengths in each section of the proposal and drive the design team to produce the, that number of strengths. And then we want them to uh, create a metric of how well those strengths uh, work in the final analysis of their proposal. So when they get their debrief after the deal is played through and they either win or lose, we go back and look at the strengths that the evaluation team found, the government evaluation team found, and we compare them with strengths that we bid. So we have a, a strengths observed versus strengths bid metric, and we apply that to proposals. Okay, so let me let me ask kind of a different question here. Are you still doing public classes on this? We teach a class at uh, Dell Tech University just about every month. We skip August and we skip December, so that gives us ten ten classes, and we rotate the classes. They're, they can be uh, capture management, proposal management, uh, strength based solutioning, or maybe a writing class, a strength based writing, and then we do private classes all around the country. Right. And, and those are tailored to a company and to their uh, line of business. Let's migrate back for a minute to those companies emerging into the full and open scenario. How much of this are they going to be able to incorporate if they're still in that you know ten to twenty five million dollar total revenue range? They can they can incorporate it all. Okay, uh, that's that's a good thing. And you know the first step is we tell them well go go take a class. And send three or four people to the public class. It's it's cheap. It's like five hundred bucks a seat. So go go and let them spend a day working through these processes. And they'll they come back to the company and they're jazzed and ready to go and they want to do it. So it it gets everybody uh, upbeat about it and they become really receptive to us coming in and then facilitating 
the capture and proposal activities to be a trailblazer and show them this is how it's done. Cool. And I know at least uh, probably several, but I know at least one of your uh, your key people, Lisa Pafe, comes from that small contractor environment. She started off as a proposal person in mm-hmm. uh, was it an AA or a hub or something really small. And you know, I've had her as a guest on the show a couple of times and speaking in my class as well. Um, and and you know, I, what I really love is is how she took her company to the next level and took herself several levels up. Indeed, yeah. And she, the companies she's worked with have all uh, graduated from the small business programs, and they are now a solid mid-tier players, and, and they all use these uh, these same methodologies. Cool. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Uh, we shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Robert Lofeld. Uh, Bob, Bob is is really the guru of the uh, of the bid bid process and capture. And again, uh, check him out on Amazon as well as on LinkedIn and at the uh, at the uh, company website. Uh, the books are well worth your time. I think I only have three in my library. I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm remiss. You have to tell me which ones you're missing. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure shoot you, you an email today. later okay. today. Thank you. Um, I'll shoot Beth one. She'll send Be- it. Be- yeah, yeah, Beth. Yeah, you go. yeah that's where the, your email's going to go. I know how to get stuff back. Yeah, uh, okay. So um, so we've walked through this process, but but we your, your big thing here is is the quality at the end. So – uh, what guarantees the the best possible outcome? So, so every, everybody doing proposals talks about doing proposal reviews. That's basically the quality program in, in developing a proposal. We, we've called them color reviews since the beginning of time. And, and what the color reviews, uh, there's a pink and a red and maybe a gold review, that what they were intended to be was reviews to help Companies improve the scoreability of their proposals, but what they have uh, uh, devolved to is largely editorial reviews, where a, a, a team of people come in, they review the proposal, and they say, "Move this paragraph here, add this sentence, change this," and and they're they're basically done. And what we've said is we've we've lost the focus on quality reviews. Our our mission here is to build a proposal that's going to be high scoring. So we're going to do the reviews in such a way that we're, we are scoring the proposals as we go. So in parallel uh, with the, the color team reviews, we do a scoring review. And the review, we treat it just like the government would review the proposal. We, we check it first for compliance and, and make sure it addresses everything that it needs to address. And the, the color team reviews will do the same. Then, then we read the sections of the proposal that we need to score and, and it's interesting because the color team reviewers will take the management plan. They'll review it from page one to, to the end. Well, they'll take the tech and review it from page one to the end. Well, what we do is build out a scoring card based on evaluation criteria, and we read the parts of the proposal that we need to read to score. And there's, you find that there's parts of the proposal that will never be read by a scoring team. And, and we certainly don't read it. Like it's a novel, we read it more like it's an encyclopedia, hopping from piece to piece right. to build our scoring. <clears throat> and and then we uh, outbrief that to the proposal team, saying, "Here's the strengths that we found 
subordinate to each of the evaluation criteria. And an outbriefing might might go something like this. Here's uh, the number one uh, evaluation criteria was technical. We reviewed it. We found no no strengths in your technical solution. We found three uh, deficiencies, and and the pr- section was generally compliant. Uh, management proposal, management uh, evaluation criteria. We read it. We found one strength in it, uh, no deficiencies, and scored it sort of ho hum. And and this is uh, a shocker to proposal teams and solutioning teams to realize that what they're really doing in their journey with their editorial reviews is is they're polishing a brick. And this this is never going to be a great proposal because. It's failing to convey the features that can be scored as strengths. And it sends them back to the drawing board to rethink how, how they architect that proposal, how they, how they present it, and how they package up features that can be scored as strengths. So, so that's the color team review uh, uh, adjunct with scoring. And then we've, we've layered on top of that a set of quality standards that we use for all of our proposals. And we, we can talk about those if you like. Yes, please. Okay. So, so the idea here is that we want to create a, a high-scoring proposal. We know that in order to do that, uh, all high-scoring proposals have a similar set of attributes, and we've identified seven that we use as quality measures. Uh, the first one I talked about is a compliant structure. So that's the framework for the proposal has to uh, comply with the instructions and all of the requirements that are levied throughout an RFP. All the content has to be responsive to the instructions. So when the, the government says, tell us about how you're going to staff the project, we don't wow them with how we recruit on five continents and you know, the corporate boilerplate uh, looking for a place to go. We strip all that out and make sure we're absolutely responsive. We have to present a compelling solution, so it has to be one that's rich in features that can be scored as evaluation strengths. And we go through and we count them up. And if we don't have a lot of them, then this doesn't score very well in terms of quality standard. Be- because the uh, features that are scored as strengths, all, all the strengths tie directly to a benefit for the customer. And because we're presenting these throughout the proposal, the proposal takes on a different tone, and it takes on a tone that it's all about how we're going to make the customer successful, not about how proud we are of our pedigree and that we're uniquely qualified, world-class, you know, all that uh, jargon comes out of the proposals. And what we talk about is how the customer is going to be world-class when, when we deliver the service or the product for them. The the proposal has to be visually effective. And, and this is a different concept for people. You know, everybody used to say, well, you have to have a graphic on the first page that's the overarching solution and, and graphics to break up the text. <clears throat> what, what we do is we say, here's, here's our solution, the features in it that are going to be scored as strengths, and we must convey those features visually through the graphics and the proposal, through the visual communication and, and that can be uh, a, a graphic diagrams. It can be data tables, uh, caption headings. But somehow someone who is a skimmer of the proposal must be able to skim through it and get the same evaluation results as somebody who read it deeply. So, so it's like writing a second proposal and laying it on top of the first one, integrating the two. So visual effectiveness really important for us. Okay. So basically when, when you're at this part of it, 
everything you've done thus far leads up to hopefully all of those blanks being filled in. So it's no surprise if, if you're short one or two areas of strength. Your earlier review should have identified those and should helped have, you yes. put them in. Yeah, and, and we're measuring that as, as we go along. We keep track of it. Just, just like we measure capture with the color scores, we measure the quality of our proposal with color scores and, and document those along its journey. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, especially, you know, uh, more than 10 years back, uh, companies complaining, you know, you went through this entire process and you get up to the final review and you ask the, uh, the BD guy, are we going to win this? And he goes, no, well, the customer doesn't know us. <laughs> what the hell have we been doing? We hope we cross that bridge early on and, yeah. uh, before spending all this money to get to the end. But, that, but that, I mean, that, that does bring up a point because when I speak at APMP pretty much every year, uh, that seems to be still a recurrent theme. The customer doesn't know us. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, I mean, there's so many ways to get in front of them now. We like to say the management team got blinded by the, the light of a shiny object. They, they looked at this multi-hundred million dollar deal that's in the company's sweet spot. Let's bid it. And, and they forego every step in capture because they just think you got to bid. And, and that's the best way to waste money and everybody becomes disillusioned in the process. So. So we believe in the rigorous capture approach, and uh, you, you can't qualify a deal unless you've met the customer. Well, it, it, it seems to have paid dividends for you because every time I'm talking to a larger company uh, and I mention your name, absolutely everybody knows you. Yeah. So it, it does help. You, you had asked about can uh, uh, mid, mid-tier companies do this and smalls, and we we did a study. We, we did lots of uh, academic studies to – to better understand capture and proposal. We, we did a study with six companies across 23 bids, and we t- and it's a, a paid engagement, a set of engagements for us. But what we did is we said we want to know your win rate before we begin working with you on proposals. So go back, get your history, and tell us what your win rate is. And then when we do these proposals for you, we're going to uh, 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 implement these quality standards. We're going to uh, coach you through capture, and and then after these deals had played through, we did 23 proposals for them. We want to look at the win rate across that set of bids, and what we found is that the companies that we work with, the six companies, the average w- win rate was 32 percent, and at, after doing the 23 bids, their average win rate was 76 percent. So the win rates more than doubled by doing this, and you know they're playing. Uh, you know, not not in the major league here, but but uh, well, even so, you're talking about a significant cash outlay oh to pursue God. these things. Yeah, but look at the return on investment. Yeah, it's a huge well, yeah. huge difference between winning and losing. We we applied the quality standard, and when we did this to the proposals that they had submitted previously, their quality score on a four point scale was a one point six seven. When we applied it against the twenty three proposals, we did the average quality score on a scale of uh, four being the max, was 3.94. So it's almost a four-fold improvement in proposal quality and and twice the win rate. So we're deep believers in setting a quality standard for all the proposals 
managing to them to meet the, the quality standards. And oh, well, that's what you get right? for having an engineering background. Bob. Oh, man, it's, it's bad. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was physics before engineering, so I'm, I'm doubly cursed here. Oh, man. Oh. Bob, always a pleasure, man. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Indeed. Uh, this is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. I focus particularly on social selling via LinkedIn, building a subject matter expert platform, and content marketing. Um, so if you have an interest in any of these, reach out, mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.